So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to a new episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, Nate Larkin and David Hampton, here we are, uh, you know, back together. How you doing there, David? I am, I am good and I am hot. <laughs> oh, man. Summer is upon us here in yes. Tennessee, Middle Tennessee. Oh, my it Lord. It is. I, I'm telling you what, I got home last night from the office and I thought, you know, I'm going to sit out on my balcony for a little bit. I, there's a nice courtyard outside my door. I'm up on the mm-hmm. second floor and I there's a beautiful fountain and it mm-hmm. just babbles and trickles and it's, you know, so relaxing. And I got out there and good Lord, even, you know, at seven o'clock at night, I was like, you know, I'm not doing this. This is, uh, this is enough. It's going to, yeah, this is, I'm going to just have to watch the fountain from inside or something. Yeah. Well, we've gotten some rain this week here in Mount Pleasant. And so my lawn is just taken off. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this lawn that's just growing like crazy and it's too hot to mow it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Anyway, I'll, I'll do it. It's, you know what? It's good therapy. It's good exercise. Uh, it won't hurt me to sweat a little bit. I'll get out there and mow the damn no, lawn. We, we all need good therapy. That's, that's, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, good luck on that. <laughs> well, uh, I, once again, David, I'm having a good week, having a good week. I think uh, I'm going to attribute a lot of it to the fact that I am in dry July. And yeah. you know what helped me get there? I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show or not, but uh, at, at the recommendation of my doctor, I got back into therapy. Mm-hmm. So I, I went for an, actually an overdue annual physical, you know, the annual physical I get every three or four years. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, with a great doctor. And uh, turns out, you know, my blood work came back fantastic. Things are looking good in a lot of ways. He asked me whether I had any concerns and I feel safe with this guy. He's a recovered mm-hmm. alcoholic himself. And I said, you know what? I am. I'm concerned about my my drinking. And uh, so he asked whether I was willing to see somebody. And of course, hey, I'm willing to see somebody. Mm-hmm. And he recommended a, a friend, a guy we've had here on the show. And uh, so I've had four sessions now with Phil Herndon. Yeah. He is, you know, uh, it's just been wonderful. I think that we're at risk, David, anytime we start to imagine that because we've been in recovery for a long time, mm-hmm. we've graduated, there's yeah. nothing else to learn, right? Right, right. We're, yeah. you know, we're always in the teacher spot and mm-hmm. not in the learner spot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, I'm grateful that my doctor suggested it. I'm grateful that uh, Phil uh, made room for me. And, yeah, and, yeah, that, yeah. I'm very happy that you are getting to do that and that you um, availed yourself to it. And, um, you know, because we all have blind spots, no matter, mm-hmm. you know, how many people we sponsor or see as clients or, you know, whatever. Yeah. We, we all have our blind spots. and. Um, you know, uh, I, I had a counselor tell me never trust a therapist who doesn't have a therapist, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, cause you, we've all got them and, uh, I've got yeah. somebody I like to talk to and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully 
I'm quite, I am, I am very confident that having taken this, uh, you know, preventive step and gotten some mm-hmm. help, I won't have to go to rehab. Well, that's the key, preventive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, kind of what we had here, what, what's going on with me right now is, is kind of a form of prehab. And we got, we've got a guest this week who has a lot to say about prehab. He and does. I think it is fascinating stuff. It is. Uh, listeners, stay tuned. This, this is a character, and, uh, and he has just done some remarkable stuff. You're going to enjoy him. I know you are. When we return on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast, and our guest today uh, comes to us from Roswell, Georgia. Uh, It's uh, the outside of Atlanta area. Um, His name is Pat Moore, and Pat is a licensed professional counselor there in uh, Roswell. And Pat has an interesting, um, a really interesting program and concept that I want to talk with him about today after we kind of get to know him a little better. And um, it's um, one of the you know, one of the interesting things about the work we all do in recovery is that um, we don't often talk a lot about what we could be doing on the front end of things to help people ahead of time to avoid some, you know, major uh, pitfalls and collisions uh, in life. And so uh, Pat has a program that he's um, very active in and, and has worked with, and I want him to talk about it. But Pat, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I, I enjoyed uh, uh, meeting you through the last podcast. I was listening to something, and and you got an invitation, I think, on your website or somewhere. And it's like, yeah, oh, I'd, li- I'd like to talk to this guy. And uh, <laughs> so I'm glad you put all this together, and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, well, I'm glad that it all worked out. Um, so, Pat, you're you're a counselor, and you've done a lot of uh, work and research and interviewing in the area of uh, addiction recovery, it sounds like. Uh, tell us what got you interested in this area of, uh, of work in the first place, a little bit about yourself. Well, I, uh, and I grew up in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s. I'm retired now, really. I'm 60, 67 okay. years old now. But the... Uh, during that time, uh, you know, it's like a lot of the people I knew, and uh, we had a good time, and I ended up uh, starting a family with a beautiful wife, and I was doing the best I could with what I had, but things were not going well, mm. and I had to figure this thing out, which I could not myself. Uh, we went to counselors, this and the other. We knew something was wrong, but we didn't know what it was. Yeah. And I eventually found out it's, it's just addiction. Mm. And I had I had found this uh, dependent way of living that worked very well for me, but not very well for anybody else. Yeah. And I could not tell the difference. And it's a vicious, vicious disease from that point of view. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I, I survived it, found found 12-step uh, program. Uh, my wife helped me do that by asking me to leave. It worked. Okay. I came to AA to get back in my house. I did not go there to get sober or find God. I was mm-hmm. trying to yeah. reunite with my family. But while I was there, I was stunned to learn. I hung around long enough that Everybody I ran into knew exactly what the problem was, exactly what the solution is, and exactly what to do about it. Uh And that's the only place that has happened to me on the planet. And I've been around. (laughs) I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but I know more about the mental health industry than I should. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh... And I never, uh, you know, I got I got my life back. I got a program together. I I didn't make the mistake of uh, thinking the fellowship was the program. Mm-hmm. I saw Joe and Charlie when they were still Joe and Charlie running around doing uh, seminars. 
Mm-hmm. And I learned how to use the big book, which is the program, right. uh, and learned how to use the precise set of instructions. And the ideas in the 12 and 12 in the big book, I mean, uh, were perfectly suitable to me. I, I could see where there was dependence mm-hmm. and, and, and was not the good kind. It turns mm-hmm. out there is a good dependence, and that's, of course, higher power and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or interdependent relationships, just like we're doing now. Right. Uh, you don't depend on me, I don't depend on you, but that doesn't mean we can't be useful to one another. Right. And everybody else we meet today, and that's living, that's life, that's mm-hmm. joy in living. Mm-hmm. And what I've come to call autonomy, which I mm-hmm. think we're perfectly designed for. Mm. I've always had that ability, and that's what I always thought I was doing, but I wasn't. Mm. I'd taken sort of these, when I look back on it now, kind of shortcut. I was looking for the easier, softer way, and I found it. Mm-hmm. I found, yeah. that what, found what I was looking for. Alcohol works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if I didn't have access to alcohol, I had access. I'd find something that would work. Mm-hmm. I could change how I felt. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was my responsibility. So I made the common mistakes some of us make. And as I went through um, applying these principles in my life, I ended up, I, I never graduated college because I never knew where I wanted to be. So I ended up in sales with some very nice companies and did okay. But that's not what I really wanted to do. And my wife said, well, why don't you, you, you sponsor everybody in town. Why don't you go over and uh, get a degree in uh, psychology? So I did. And they invited me to get a master's. So I got one. I've been to five or six colleges. <laughs> growing <laughs> up. Uh-huh. But I could never put two semesters together. I just wasn't. It just seemed a little much to ask. I just couldn't sustain dependence. The kind of dependence I suffered from, you can't, is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen more than right. a semester at a time. Sometimes yeah. two weeks at a time, sometimes a day at a time. So as I went through school and got my license and did my internship, I wound up working at a university, which I highly recommend because it's a there it's a beautiful laboratory mm-hmm. and they encourage research right. so it's like all right and they have a whole department set up for just to review your research and approve it mm-hmm. so this internal review board so i i got irb approved and uh, put together a program when we presented it me and the peer educators i was part of what they call the Center for Young Adult Addiction and Recovery at Kennesaw uh, State University here, right around Atlanta. Then we put, uh, you know, we, we were a resource for kids who were recovered going back to school. Some of them recovered, some of them weren't, which is kind of a, a thing that we tried to work around and made sure that uh, maximum prevention and minimum harm came to it's a risky crowd in mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at a lot of variables and we use those in our research. That's what research to me is, is mm-hmm. looking at the relationship between variables. Yeah. So we made a, uh, so we made a model. It's an encouragement model. It's really the, most of it's the doctor's opinion right out of, right out of the big book. It covers middle obsession and physical allergy, which as you know, is a progressive kind of uh, model. You don't start out, no one's born an alcoholic. Uh, you can't start out that way. It feels that way. And I know, and I know, I know my first drink was an alcoholic drink, but I was not born an alcoholic. It can't be genetic. One way I know this is I have an identical twin brother, and he's not. He never crossed the line. Okay, but I did. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. We both have the same color eyes. That's genetic. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. We have the same DNA. That's genetic. Uh huh. We don't drink the same. Yeah. Yeah. He can drink and not get drunk. Yeah. 
I don't see the point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it occurs, you know, so how do you know these things? Well, after you go to AA for about 10 years, you start to know all this stuff pretty, you know, reflectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just automatic. Right. So, uh, so we started basically doing uh, an introduction to the doctor's opinion, along with some risk response stuff. During research, there's a process where you do literature review. So, you know, if you're replicating research or doing mm-hmm. something, you know, if somebody else did something, it might help your research. So anyway, you look around mm-hmm. and all the other research, and I ran into all this risk response stuff by this guy named Kahneman and and some of the guys he worked with, uh, like Tversky and uh, Slovich. And uh, I left Kennesaw, retired, and wrote a book. It's called Prehab. Uh, there you go. So it's on Amazon, Prehab, Leveraging Perception to End Substance Abuse. Right. Took me a year to write it because I knew we had found something, but I don't quite know what we found. Uh-huh. When, I'm sorry, Pat. When you when you started the research, what were you hoping to um, explore? What was the nature of what you were wanting to kind of know? I wanted to know how good you know those models were. Mm-hmm. And then what did it change? How mm-hmm. much did it change? Yeah. So, in other words, if the if the students were to be educated on certain things, would that make a difference in their behavior when it came to substances and other behaviors? Okay. Or or make a difference anywhere. I didn't care where Mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. I didn't really care about the behavior. By that time, I had already come to the conclusion that their behavior is their business. It's not mine. (laughs) Yeah. That's uh, probably pretty safe. (laughs) I can't take responsibility for their behavior. Right. Those that can are dependent and doomed to failure. Yeah. But uh, but why people do the things they do interests me a lot. Right. And I think right. we know a lot more than we think about this sort of thing. We just don't have it organized very well for mental health. We have it organized very well for political communications. We have yeah. it organized very well for marketing. Mm-hmm. Every car salesman knows these things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to describe. They've been around for a long time. They've been used for good and evil for a long time. Okay, yeah. I I decided to use them for mental health. Okay, well, tell us, like, what what are some of the things you're talking about? So, so besides the mental obsession and physical allergy and behavior, we have uh, the risk-response system. Uh, The risk-response system is, have you ever heard of a, we're, there's a book out there called uh, We Are Not a Blank Slate. Okay. Uh-huh. And, I, and his big deal is we're, we're not a blank slate. We're born with a lot of functional systems. And the risk-response system is one of the most powerful. And this is our ability to walk around and make endless choices without exhaustion. Um, it's what we're good at. It's not logical. It's much better. It's much faster. Uh, And it's very accurate. But there are gaps. And once you miss a gap, it can be devastating. And Mm. we are, we're familiar with some of those gaps. That's like the, uh, the gambler's fallacy, right? That's a gap in the risk response system. You know, I've lost three times in a row. I'm going to bet everything now because I'm due. Mm -hmm. If I'm playing Mm -hmm. a game of chance and it's a 50-50 chance, I get three tails in a row, I bet everything on heads because that's a a gap. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's not not how statistics, that's not how probability works at (laughs) all. Right. But it feels that way. Yeah, and if it happens to me once, it's like being a drunk. If it happens to me once, it works. It's like Eureka! I found mm-hmm. you. Know, I'll go yeah. around taking those kinds of odds all day and lose everything. Yeah. So all that kind of stuff's been looked at, but the underlying things have not been looked at very closely. So what I got into was what are the pieces? That's the variable. 
right? The whole chunk is risk response mm -hmm. theory. So what is it? I, I, there's hundreds of factors. The environment's not a factor. The genetics are not a factor. Okay. What is a factor in this system is things that sound like uh, new. New is a factor. Human beings are very, we're wired to notice the new. Every mm -hmm. car salesman knows it. Mm -hmm. Here's the latest stuff. Here's the newest stuff. When we go to Las mm -hmm. Vegas, we don't stay in the old hotel. We stay in the new hotel. Is there a difference? Mm -hmm. No. But we associate the new with good. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is not a bad rule of thumb, but mm. there are gaps. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the opposite of new is familiar. Mm-hmm. They're on the same continuum. They're very, mm -hmm. very, these things are simple concepts, but they're extremely powerful. People live mm -hmm. and die by these things. And raw willpower, it doesn't matter how much willpower, again, a concept we're very familiar with. The will is useless here. Mm -hmm. And so is logic. Applying logic, you can't apply logic to an OCD person. Whatever mm -hmm. it is he's doing to stay comfortable and reduce anxiety, he's not going to let go of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He understands it's foolish to do. He understands he can't let go of it. He's not going to let go of it. That's what OCD is. So I used out of a hundred or so, I probably, I used six. They sound like new familiar, mm -hmm. good and bad. We mm -hmm. perceive something as good. We investigate it. Mm -hmm. Social proof is a very powerful one. It's mm -hmm. different. It's not peer pressure. Mm -hmm. We were always lectured about peer pressure growing up. And I could never understand that lecture. Somebody has more power over me than me. I don't believe you, and I don't. And now I know you don't think much of me. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I could see how that could be a uh, yeah, lose some credibility in that, right? Yeah, but social proof is different and much more powerful. Social proof is when I go in somewhere, my first day of college. And everybody's smoking dope over there, and everybody's studying over there, and everybody's doing And I'm starting to learn the environment, how this place works. Mm -hmm. And and I accept it. And mm -hmm. whoever I see doing what, I know they were here before me. Mm -hmm. So I know they know more than I do. Mm -hmm. So if I perceive something as new, good, and there's social proof, and I believe others are benefiting from it, I'm doing mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, Risk-benefit is the key to this whole thing, and I put that on one continuum. Risk and benefit is how these factors like new and good, and uh, I mean new and familiar, good and bad, control, commitment. If I believe I can control it, it's low risk, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I can't control it, it's high risk. Mm -hmm. If others are benefiting, I believe I can benefit too. So my benefit to risk ratio is constantly changing due to these other things that plug in automatically and happen very, very quick. But you got to take, there's no such thing as not taking a risk in life. We're taking mm -hmm. risk all the time. Mm -hmm. If it's low risk, we do, we do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if the frequency increases for that low risk, and we don't understand how that works. That's, mm -hmm. that's how we end. That's mm -hmm. when it's over. There's a, there's a principle called uh, constructive paranoia. And that's okay. part of what we taught. And that's to do with control and things like that. And there's some things, there's just some things you don't do. It's not just say no. It's, it's the answer to what kills people in the jungle. What kills people in the jungle? Have you ever heard that lecture before? Uh, no. Yeah. You know, what kills people in the jungle is trees. There's a lot of them. <laughs> uh, that the frequency would be, yeah. of trees is very high in the jungle. Okay. Well, here at Roswell, I live in a park. We're fortunate here. There are a lot of trees here. We don't live under the trees, but we have them all around. 
Well, it turns out trees are falling all the time. People that don't live in the jungle don't know that. People who live in the jungle know this very well. So they never sleep under a dead tree. You can build the most glamorous camp you can think of under an unhealthy tree. They won't go near it. Mm -hmm. They know better. I don't text and drive ever. Mm -hmm. That decision has been made. I know I'm going to die someday. It's mm -hmm. not going to be by going through the windshield while texting. These kind of concepts around the affective risk response system is what this is all about. And what I'm trying to tell you without burning up too much time is I can, as a recovered person, I can, uh, I, I already have a model to put how each stage of progression from no disease to beyond human aid disease works with mm -hmm. this risk response system from new all the way to familiar. Mm -hmm. What we do is habituate in stage four. That's the shortcut to this whole thing. Well, that means I've gone through the progression. I've become physically addicted, mentally addicted, emotionally addicted, and my risk response system is geared towards the familiar. And change mm -hmm. is dangerous. Don't want mm -hmm. to change. I know right. I need to change. I agree with everything you say to me in treatment, but I don't change. That's right. why, why people die in treatment. Mm -hmm. The goal of putting more people in treatment, I think, is a disastrous goal. That's not a good goal. Yeah, well, help us understand that for people that uh, are are really uh, banging the drum for you know more more rehab. The problem is just telling them how to get help before. So here's, here's how you get more people in treatment. Uh, give them the facts early. That's what I'm describing. So that whole dry process, this is mm -hmm. a challenge of what I do. How do you mm -hmm. explain green to a blind person carefully? Mm -hmm. It takes a while. and mm -hmm. Then you got to see it. Then you got to go do it. It's like recovery. Mm -hmm. I can't do it for you. You got to go do it. Here's mm -hmm. what I did. If you do what I did, you'll get what I get. Mm -hmm. But I keep, you got to go do it. Every person engaged in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for being involved. Maybe it's a husband or wife, a daughter or son, a mom or a dad, a best friend, a colleague, a job, a hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, we're all in this together. On the Positive Sobriety Podcast, we understand that the opposite of addiction is connection. And our mission includes building a strong community and working together to break the stigma of alcohol addiction. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink to expand and strengthen our community even further. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or a relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at soberlink.com PSP. That PSP, of course, stands for Positive Sobriety Podcast. The link again is soberlink.com PSP. There's a body of research out there that knows over the decades, no matter what country, no matter what age, no matter what gender, no matter what race, they know that 75% of the population with alcohol is going to be low risk. 
They either don't drink or they drink once or twice a year. 20% are going to be high risk. They, if they stay with it, they're going to be alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And something may happen to them along the way. Mm-hmm. In some ways, they're safer than the low-risk people. That's one of the things that is called the prevention paradox. The low-risk person on a college campus, somebody dies every semester on every college campus because somebody's trying to keep up with somebody else who has a high tolerance, and they mm-hmm. do alcohol poisoning, and they die. They overdose from mm-hmm. alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Those are, the, those are not alcoholics. Those mm-hmm. are low-risk people with no tolerance. Yeah. They don't, they don't know. Mm-hmm. And their first mistake is the last one. Heroin. You know, fentanyl's mm-hmm. very dangerous. I'd be very careful. Right. Here. Well, here's some fentanyl. Let me do half. <laughs> I want to be careful. So caution is not the right way to go. So, so what I've learned is 5% of the population is going to, fit addiction. 20% is going to be high risk. So 5% severe risk, beyond human aid, hopelessly addicted, going to die that way. Mm-hmm. But for finding recovery and things like that. 20% uh, starting to be d- developing a chronic pattern. And then mm-hmm. the low risk people who happen to be a majority of the population so when something acute happens, more of them die because there are more of them than mm-hmm. all the OD people at the 5%. Mm-hmm. So if I walk into a freshman classroom, what I'm expecting to find is 75% of them are low risk, 20% of them are severe risk, I mean high risk, and 5% are severe risk. That's mm-hmm. what I expect to find. Mm-hmm. Guess what I found? Even in small samples. But whenever I aggregate, you know, a, a 500 students together out of 20 classes, mm-hmm. that those are the numbers that come up. We show them how this works. I give them the lecture on the uh, risk response system. I show them the model that goes from stage zero, no problem, to stage four, you're going to die alcoholism or addiction, and then I ask them, what stage, as an incoming first-week freshman here at Kennesaw State University, having heard this for 45 minutes, can you tell me what stage were you at, what stage are you at, and what stage will you be at? Mm. Mm -hmm. And I get 75% that are going to be under either stage zero or stage one or some combination of it, like zero, right. one, zero. I was a zero. I am a one now. I'm going to be a zero. So they, uh, so 75% don't go past stage one. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of them are zero, zero, zero. I was a zero. I am a zero. I'm going to be a zero. Mm-hmm. What we think of freshmen is, Holy cow, we're out from under the oppression of our parents and we're going to go <laughs> right. butt naked wild and everything's crazy. Yeah. But that's not real mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, find 20% that were, are, or going to be oh, past stage one, but they end at stage zero or stage okay. one. So it'll be like, mm-hmm. Well, I came out of high school looking for a bit. I was too. I'm getting used to taking risks mm-hmm. and liking it and believing it's low risk when it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to stay a two, but having heard this, I'm going to be a zero. So mm. I was a two. I am a two. I'd like to be a zero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not only are those the high risk people, not only did we identify them, but I can tell by the way they answer, they're seeing how their risk response is. They learned something. They mm-hmm. changed in their learning, not their behavior, mm-hmm. in their learning. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get the other 5%, which oddly enough is not so much stage four. I'll get some guys that for the first time 
So this is where the treatment center stuff comes in. I'll get, and, and at first I was worried about this because it's like, are we going to have to take people to the hospital from this thing? You know, because I know they're in here. And what would happen if people say, I was a four, I am a four, I'm going to be a zero. Well, that's an intervention. Mm, mm-hmm. And what and what I found from talking to some of them was that uh, they, they already been to three treatment centers. They okay. just didn't know what was required. They they just waited it out. They gutted it out, expecting mm-hmm. to be fixed by someone else. And if they weren't mm-hmm. fixed, it wasn't their problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now they understand something nobody else can fix for them. They can fix a lot easier than they thought. And now that they know what's required of them, they can prepare. They're prepared to change. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the tough, the tough guys will come back like this. I, I was a two. I am a two. I'd like to remain a two. Well, that person's a three. Mm. <laughs> That's another way to say three. Okay. In a progressive okay. model, it's uh-huh. a three. Yeah. You're telling me that. Mm-hmm. And a three looks like addiction, but it's not necessarily addiction, but it's getting very close. Or mm-hmm. some people will say, I was a three, I am a four, I'd like to be a two. Mm-hmm. What they all have in common is, I don't want to be addicted, but I don't want to be a zero. Mm-hmm. I don't want to control this thing. Yeah. I can't help them. Mm-hmm. That's 5%. That's 5%. But now I have planted the seed. And, and they were the least ambivalent people in the room when I walked in there. Mm-hmm. Now they're the most ambivalent. <laughs> okay. That's also changed. So when they progress, they're going to have to deal with themselves now. It's like motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. We're not going to argue about this. You're either going to have to figure it, be honest with yourself or not. Yeah. So I'm taking the fight out of them at a future date. <laughs> yeah okay and they, well, they, they and they've had experience and they know where to go get help and they go get help when it's time yeah who would you say your research um would most benefit pat and it mm-hmm. benefits three categories mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta educate the low risk mm-hmm. because there's more of them and they're the ones that are going to get in the back seat with no seatbelt on and go through the windshield and die with the alcoholic mm-hmm. who's driving mm-hmm. has something to hang on to and they survive. Mm-hmm. Or they're marrying one. Understand what you're dealing with, not mm-hmm. what it looks like what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So you got to educate the low risk. That stops or slows down the acute accidents and the future drama and harm. Mm-hmm. The other thing is to intervene on the high risk. Before they get into the severe risk, mm, uh-huh. I never get tired of that. I never get tired of scoring it. I never get tired of seeing a two two zero or a three two zero or two three zero or four four zero or any of those kinds of things. That those, in my mind, are straight out interventions. Mm-hmm. They they know it. They didn't know where they're going. They can see it now. And they can do something different. They know why. And they know mm-hmm. how. They can stop avoiding that. Mm-hmm. They can start growing up. They can stop the deal. They can stop the dependence. It's stoppable in stage two. Yeah. It's not a big problem in stage two. It's a piece mm-hmm. of cake mm-hmm. compared to stage four. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the stage four guys is you got to play the seed. They got to figure out what they can and cannot control. And when they find out they cannot control it, now that's in a group. That's a group intervention. That's mm-hmm. a, that's 25 freshmen. They never see it coming. They think you're going to talk about marijuana, what it looks like, what it smells like, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and how dangerous yeah. it is. That's yeah. not what we do. We don't talk about any of that. Mm-hmm. They learn something about themselves. And then now we talk about behavior while I give this lecture because uh, stage one is no big deal. Uh, as a matter of fact, stage zero is where you find constructive paranoia. Stage one is where you start to find some risk taking. 
And that's where the new good social proof is. Stage two is where you found what you like to do and you found who you like to do it with. And those are smaller groups and you're starting to take more risks. You may be irresponsible. And tomorrow you be responsible, so then I may be irresponsible. So those kinds of things. That's like a stage two thing. Yeah. That's that's not prevention. That's mm-hmm. that's building a social contract to increase risk. That's how you mm-hmm. get more alcoholics. Yeah. <laughs> well, very true. And um, we uh, and then in, of course at the uh, once you get to stage three, you know, if you have a relationship with your with your bong, if you have, if you're, the name of your bong is Jimi Hendrix or whatever you named it, and you know you're more about your bong than your friends, so you're in stage three. Mm-hmm. And people can look around the room, particularly if I'm doing athletes or any kind of a close knit group. Everybody knows what everybody else does, uh-huh. and everybody that knows me knows I do this, that, and the other. Uh huh. And you start using multiple drugs to get over multiple drugs and you start having this lifestyle. Yeah. And people know who does that because. Yeah. And it's not a big deal. It's, yeah. It's a trap. You just don't see it. Mm-hmm. So showing people that. So that's three objectives. Lower resistance for treatment, ID and intervene. They're invisible. I can, I can walk in there to any particular classroom and say, which show me the 20% that's high risk. Nobody can do that. Yeah. But we, not only can we show you, we can show you where we intervene. We can mm-hmm. identify them and intervene on them. Yeah. And help, help, help the severe ones, uh, lower resistance to treatment and uh, introduce ambivalence to the really hardcore severe that have not suffered yet. They haven't had a non-con. They're still at their first college. They Mm -hmm. got it under control. Yeah. So, so once we found out how to score it and uh, use it like that, you can see how much good you did in 45 minutes, which Mm -hmm. is what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. So where's the flaw? I looked for years. This is over a five-year period. I looked mm-hmm. for years. I know there's a flaw in here because what I'm doing is I'm hitting the, not only the bullseye, I'm hitting the middle of the bullseye every time, mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. after time. The only times I don't, which is very important from a scientific point of view, is when I change the samples, when I go from random convenience samples and go to like a fraternity. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's not that's not a random convenient sample. Right. There's a group of people who are brought together for various reasons. And partying mm-hmm. is one of them. So their scores yeah. look like prison scores. <laughs> <laughs> their scores look like a mandated class. Mandated yeah. classes. So when you get caught breaking the rules. They Kennesaw that paid me eighty five dollars that came into my three hour class and we do a three hour version of this. Yeah. But if it's random, you can bet I hit the bullseye. Something is wrong, you know. It can't be that accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh so as I, I found a statistical test that's very sophisticated and uh, and once I learned how to set it up the the mistake was immediately apparent. I can explain, being one, a recovered alcoholic, how people use their risk response system to be an alcoholic. No, they're human beings. I guarantee you they have the same risk response factors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was I missing? Well, obviously they have a different pattern. They take mm-hmm. the same risk response factors and bounce between zero and two. They habituate in stage zero. Uh, if they're going to be constructive, if they're going to be useful, if they're going to be sustainable, and they go back to stage zero. They change every day, David. They try something new, they reject it or accept it, and go on and try something new. They change and grow and develop 
every single day. What is the difference between these people and these people? Well, these people use their risk response system. All of all the factors between uh, zero and one. They do new good control at one and come back and yeah. the other guy, the rest of us do it in stage four. Stage four is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. that's, that's where all the overdoses come from. The overdose clock gets set as soon as people stop using As soon right. as I stop using heroin, my tolerance goes down and my risk for overdose goes up mm -hmm. based on my next use. Right, right. What, yeah. I, what I would call detox. Right. It's always, it's not new. It's been around for, heroin was invented to detox alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Warping was invented to detox heroin addicts. Well, Pat, this is really fascinating. And I, I want you to say the name of your prehab book again. It's prehab and the subtitle again is... Uh, Leveraging Perception to End Substance Abuse. And how can folks get a copy of that? Amazon, I would imagine? Amazon Kindle or just Amazon Hardback. And uh -huh. I have a, a website. Yeah. You can see the presentation. I do this for free. The challenge is how to distribute it. Who's Pat Moore? Nobody knows. Nobody yeah. cares. So I try and I just talk about it and put it out there. And people, there are people who go around and use it. Yeah. And uh, tell us your website. It's prehab. Prehab map. One word, prehab. M-A-P-P -P for map. There's two P's in mm -hmm. map. Well, I use it prehabmap.com. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And if somebody wants to contact you directly, can they also reach you through that web prehabmap.com website? Uh, yep. Uh, there's a, there's an email, uh, there and, uh, I'm on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, my regular email address is, uh, pop of November, Mike P and M. Yeah. Like Papa November Mike 867 at gmail.com. Okay. Talk well, to anybody uh, about anything. Well, thank you so much because I know people may want to just do that. They may just want to uh, explore this more. And you guys have a lot of questions and good uh, links on that website, as I recall, too. So there's a lot of good material there to learn and, and to digest. And, uh, and so I really encourage everybody to. Uh, take a look at that and uh, and grab the book and uh, maybe get in touch with you too if they need some further uh, clarification or guidance or whatever uh, way you might be useful to them. I purposefully leave the uh, scoring out of the rate. I mean, it's the presentation anybody can use. You don't. You can play a video. You're trained. Yeah. Just play yeah. the video. Okay. And, uh, discuss accordingly. But I don't want it to be used as a screen for employment or other things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't put the scoring in there. But uh, but the scoring is not that hard, and it's in the book, or I can show you how to do it. So great. But you can help other people today. Well, Pat, man, thank you so much. I have enjoyed talking with you. It's been a really great time. Uh, Pat Moore from Roswell, Georgia, and uh, uh, take advantage of the prehab opportunities here folks to to get get more in touch with uh the the pre the pre-addiction uh, model so to speak recovery <laughs> the pre-covery there you go i like that too just skip well, the Pat. addiction step it's not necessary <laughs> right right well man thanks again so much and listeners we will be right back on the positive sobriety podcast thank you david Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I enjoyed that interview, Nate. I'm sorry you weren't able to. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I, I, listening to it, I just thought, oh, that, that, that was dead. That's such a fun conversation. I'm glad I got yeah. to listen to it. Sure wish I could have been there. Yeah, it, it was great. And he's, you know, he is just a uh, no-nonsense straight shooter. But this, this whole prehab concept, you know, when we got the um, inquiry from... Uh, mm -hmm. 
him about being on the program, um, I thought, you know, the thing that jumped out at me was prehab, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I hadn't heard that. And um, I thought, or, what a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Work <laughs> to prevent. Uh, or that or that term he tossed like pre-covery. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you know we can actually maybe um, uh, alleviate some uh, some heartache and some uh, some some unnecessary suffering. Yeah, what parent out there doesn't want their teenage son or daughter uh, to have the privilege of going through prehab? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so the video is available. Uh, this is interesting stuff from from a guy who's a character. I. I who was he channeling? Who's who did that voice? What did that? Who you did know, that voice his voice of? his voice reminds me of John Goodman. Oh yeah, uh, the okay. actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Reminds okay. me of John Goodman, the actor. But uh, yeah, yeah. very uh, delightful uh, interview. And I know that you know I I am sure uh, as his client, there's never a question about you know what he thinks might be a good next step for you. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I loved it. You know, I think yeah, yeah, great. yeah. Yeah, he does talk like an old timer too, doesn't he? Like yeah, uh, yeah. in AA, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah fantastic the, stuff. He's yeah, got the fantastic down, stuff. But uh, enjoyed it very much. All right. Well, I think that is about a wrap for this episode of the show. Um, as always, let me remind you that we rely on our listeners to help us uh, expand the audience. So if you rate the show wherever you down, uh, download the podcast, that's helpful to us. We also rely on you for feedback, for suggestions, for recommendations. Uh, We're all in this together. So if you have any kind of feedback that you think would benefit the show, please drop us a line at Positive Sobriety Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, David, that's it for this week. Uh, We'll have to say goodbye. Say goodbye to everybody. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 